for everybody else, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to the book of Matthew. We're going to be going to the um, book of Matthew. We're going to be in chapter 28 in the book of Matthew this morning. But when I was, when I was growing up, so when I was growing up, there was, a, there was a newspaper ad campaign in the town I lived in. And in the town, it was, and this back, right, when I was growing up, like, this was like when everybody got their news from the newspaper. It's like kind of everybody in town read it together. So when there was like a big campaign going on, like you'd kind of know about it, like people at school or, you know, my, you know my, my dad's office, they would talk about it, that kind of stuff. But there was this campaign, and for basically 30 days, they were just trying to pique interest of, of, some, of something that was coming. So they took out a half-page ad every day, and it was this real simple campaign. So one day, they would just say something like, be prepared, and that's all they would say. And then the next day, they would say, change is coming, you know, and then everybody would be like, what's, what's going on? And then the next day, they would say, everything will be different, right? And so you're, you're trying to peak your interest. So they did this for 30 days. At the end of 30 days, it was ready for the big reveal, and the big announcement that was coming to Bloomsburg, Pennsylvania, was our very first Walmart. And so when Walmart opened on the 30th day, so when they were opening, they made the big announcement, like, everything is different now. You are no longer, I remember they talked about, you are no longer merely a customer, but because of our convenience and prices and selection, you are in complete control of the buying process. I mean, you're just, you're in command now. You're not a mere customer anymore. You're, you're in control now. And so this was the big promise to come to Bloomsburg. And I will say, Bloom, like in the town of Bloomsburg, Walmart was actually kind of a big deal. So it wasn't even like a super Walmart. It was just like a regular Walmart. And in our town, like this really was like, it kind of was the talk of town for a couple of weeks that, that Walmart was here. Hey, they chose us. You know, it was a big deal. But I don't really know that, like my parents ended up shopping at Walmart a lot, but I don't really know that it really changed their life. You know what I mean? It just was sort of like, well, instead of two stores, they went to one store. Like they didn't feel more, you know, they didn't feel like their identity shift from customer to, you know, in control of the purchasing process. They just sort of felt like we shop here now. It was sort of like, that was like all that really happened. So there was a sense of, they, they were promising that for this little town, everything would be different, but really in reality, there was a lot of kind of overhype and just please shop at our store. And I think the world, that we, you don't need me to tell you, is filled with a lot of overhype, right? That's what a lot of advertising is. It's hyping the newest technology or sell plan or diet trend or investment opportunity, that this is, that this is the thing, that if you try this, everything will be different for you this time. So our world can overhype and can promise change, but it never delivers as advertised. And because we live in that world, I think when something promises to actually change everything, it can be easy just to tune that out and sort of be like, well, that's just overhype, that's just overselling. But what we read about this morning in, in Matthew 28 is about the reality that because of the empty tomb, everything is different, and everything can be different, and everything will be different. Because of the resurrected Christ, everything is different. But not just different in history, different for each of our lives. And this is not overhype, but this is the reality that we can build our lives on. Because of the resurrection, everything is different. And if you're new with us this morning or you're kind of skeptical as, as we come to the Word of God, I just want to say, you might be thinking, okay, now, it sounds like you're trying to oversell this a little bit. But I want to encourage you to not take my word for it, but to look at our God this morning, to look at the faithful character of our God and find that this is, this is not an advertiser's trick, but this is a promise that is available and an offer that is available to you. That because of the resurrection, everything is different. 
We're going to look at three specific things this morning. We're going to look at our fear is different, our response is different, and our identity is different. But again, the main point is very simple this morning, is simply this, because of the resurrection, everything is different. So you can turn to Matthew chapter 28. If you're new to your Bible, Matthew is the very first book in the New Testament. So just find the New Testament, first book in the New Testament. This is the last chapter in the book of Matthew. And Matthew was one of the, was one of the earthly disciples of Jesus. He was one of the eyewitnesses of the life of Jesus. He, he followed him around most of his years in ministry. He was one of his earthly followers. And this is the account that he writes. And at the end of chapter 27, chapter 27 ends with talking about the crucifixion of Christ, and it ends with Jesus being buried after dying on the cross. And, they, and at his burial, they set, to, they set guards at his tomb. They take this giant boulder and place it in, sort of in front of the tomb so no one can get in or out. And then we read this in Matthew 28, verses 1 through 10. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee, and there you will see him. See, I have told you. Verse 8, so they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Again, the main point we're looking at is, is very simple. Everything is different because the resurrection changes everything. And, every, and we're going to talk about everything, but really three particular things that we're going to look at this morning. So if you're taking notes, three points of, of what is different because of the resurrection are fear, our response, and our identity our identity, that we are not merely disciples because the resurrection changes everything. So point one is because of the resurrection, our fear is different. Our fear is different. You know, there's kind of a theme of fear that runs throughout these 10 verses, right? So the, the guards were afraid, the, the women were afraid. Two times we see this command to, to not be afraid, to fear not. And you may have heard something like, you know, if you're a Christian, you really have nothing to fear, right? Because if, if you have God on your side, you, you have really nothing to fear. And so, so Christians shouldn't, shouldn't fear anything. And, I, and I'd like to modify that. So I think as, if, if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you shouldn't fear death. You shouldn't fear Satan. You shouldn't fear sin or trials or man or the future or anything like this. But I think this passage is helping us see we, sh we should fear something and what we should fear is Jesus Christ. See, the guards, who, the guards they, they saw an angel who are controlled by Jesus, and they're, they're so afraid, they, they pass out. They're, they're, they're just lying, they're literally just laying, laying like dead men on the ground. And up to this point, a Roman soldier would have been sort of one of the 
sort of the most pre- prestigious pre- sort of person in military history up to this point in the history of the world. And they just see one of the ones that Jesus commands the th- with the thousands by just the power of his word, and they just they fall like dead men at seeing him. And the women have remarkable courage. I mean, just to note that they're the bravest people in this passage. Is they, they go to the tomb, they're ready to confront the guards, right? They, they, they have this, this, I mean, just to note that this, that who is God wanting to tell the greatest news in the history of humanity to? It's, it's to these women. But even these women, what happens when they, when they hear Jesus is alive? They have, they have fear. Now, they have much more courage than the soldiers did, but they even are overcome with fear upon hearing the news that Jesus is alive. So why upon hearing the news of the resurrection, upon the mention of the miracle, why, why did fear come? I think it's the same reason that when Jesus calmed the storm with the word of his power, his disciples went from being afraid of lightning to being afraid of Jesus because they recognized, wait, this guy is even more powerful than nature. I think they recognized in that moment, this man is more powerful than even the grave. We should have a holy fear of King Jesus. The sense of if you think death is scary, what about the one that conquers and controls even that? If Jesus Christ stayed in the grave, we'd have reason to fear everything. But since he didn't, we have reason to fear him. I want to be clear, for for the Christian, for those who have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, our fear is not like sort of the fear of public speaking or sort of, you know, fear of getting up in front of your class and, you know, not knowing the right answer. Two times in this passage, the command is given, one from the angel, one from Jesus himself, to, to fear not. But this is really sort of a command that's saying, listen, don't be afraid of anything else, but have a holy fear of Jesus. He is the conqueror of death and the ruler of all. But our, but our fear looks like this. Listen, our fear is not sort of us being skittish because, well, we don't know kind of what he's going to be like and what, what kind of mood is Jesus in today. We should be sort of skittish of him. This is not that kind of fear. This is not a fear of us sort of messing up and sort of, boy, what would Jesus think if we fall short? No, he, he knew we'd fall short. That's why he came. But this is a type of fear that's just marked by living in a holy reverence of who he is. It's, it's, it's the type of fear that we don't fear losing our life, but we fear wasting our life on anything less than him. We don't fear the future, but we live in reverence of the one who controls the future. We don't fear death, we revere the conqueror of the grave. So if you fear if you have a fear of Jesus, listen, if you, if you don't know Jesus, what do I mean by the fear of Jesus? Listen, he, he is more powerful than whatever it is you're afraid of. And Jesus Christ is not messing around. He is compassionate to all who turn to him. But woe to the one that refuses. Because Jesus Christ is the one we can both fear and turn to. He is the one we need to be saved from. And he's the one who saves us. So because of the resurrection, everything is different. Because of the resurrection, our response is different. Our response is different. What we just read about in Matthew is is not Matthew's interpretation of events. This is not his opinion. This is not sort of given a sort of, hey, here's kind of, you know, kind of my brief recollections and my interpretation of what I believe happened. What we read about in Matthew is is not a belief, but what we read in Matthew is a historic account. 
Jesus Christ died on a cross and Jesus Christ rose from the grave. There's this mistaken notion out there that what we read in, you know, in a history book, you know, the events of the Civil War and who the generals were and the battles and where the battlefields were and so on, that, that, that's history. But what we read about in Scripture is a matter of faith. But I need to know, this is history. This is a historic account. This has been verified. This has been studied. This has proven to be true. Now, there's, there's a lot of skeptics. There's a lot of them that have spent a lot of time and a lot of money looking to disprove what this is saying. But it's just been proven over and over. Because the resurrection is true, because the resurrection really happened. This isn't sort of a, an idea that we sort of just have, you know, that there's sort of this vague notion of, well, this is something that requires faith, but, you know, other historic things are just fact. No, this is a fact of what happened. Jesus Christ rose from the grave. And in rising from the grave, he conquered death, he conquered Satan, he conquered sin, evil lost, the love of God won in Jesus Christ. And so now Jesus Christ reigns victorious. And Jesus Christ is the conqueror, he is the victorious one, he rose and he reigns, and he is sovereign over all human history. Now there's one thing to recognize that is true, but, and it's another thing to just know this. Now because Jesus Christ is the sovereign one over history, because he is the conqueror, because he is the center point of all human history and is above it all, that makes a claim on us. Because Jesus Christ makes a claim on us. You know, thinking about general history, you know, I can read about the Civil War, and I can read about, you know, General Grant, and, you know, I can say, I don't know that he was really a, that there's enough proof to really say, I totally know that General Grant was a real Civil War general, and these are all the battles, you know, I wasn't there, I, you know, I, I don't know that I believe it or not, you know, I'd, I'd be right or I'd be wrong, but, but my belief in who General Grant is doesn't really make a, a claim on my life, the reality of who he is and what he does doesn't make any claim over me. But the reality of the resurrection demands a response from me. And it demands a response from you, from you because history is different because one rules over history. He, he reigns as the, as the central point of all human history. He's not sort of an actor in world history. He's the author of history. And Jesus Christ makes a claim over us and over history. We don't have the choice of sort of saying, well, he rose from the grave. That, that, that's a cool fact. This, good for him. This is when he says that he is the only way of salvation, that he is the only way of life, that he is the way and the truth and the life and that no one comes to the Father except through him. When he rose from the grave, that demands, we, we, we can't just hear that and sort of choose to move on. We, we hear that and we must respond. And denotes silence of to him and silence to that response is rejection of him. So he is not just the centerpiece of history in general. He must be the center of our life. He is not just the ruler and writer of history. He must be the ruler and writer of my life. So the resurrection demands a response from us. So because of the resurrection, everything is different. Third, we see that our identity is different. Our identity is different. You know, I don't, I don't watch a lot of movies. It's not like I just feel like for time I just don't watch a lot of movies. But I, I really do. I've got a soft spot for like sports movies. You know what I mean? So I like, 
I like sports movies. I mean, I like sports. Like, I love March Madness a couple weeks ago and just had a blast. And, like, so I like sports, but I really do like sports movies. But I recognize, and I'll, I'll be honest, that sports movies just sort of follow a certain pattern, right? Like, if you've seen one sports movie, you've seen them all. Like, you just know what's coming each time. And I love what's coming, but you just know what's coming each time. Sort of like, I think Hallmark movies are like this, right? Like, Hallmark Christmas movies, right? It's the snow's going to fall, and someone's going to fall in love under a gazebo, and that's just sort of like what happens, right? Um, well, sports movies just have a certain pattern to them, and they're loosely based on real events, and there's this ragtag group of people, they come together, and you find that they're not just fighting their opponents, they're really fighting with one another, you know, that they really just can't even come together as a team, and really what they need is this coach just to instill this tough love into them, you know, and just that kind of rally them together, and wouldn't you know, that coach just moved into town, and he's played by Kevin Costner, Dennis Quaid, and despite all obstacles, including the coach's own personal demons that he must confront along the way, the, the team begins to compete, and they begin to come together, they begin, begin to form this bond together, right? And then the best scene of the movie is, it's, it's, you know, it's, the, you know, it's what the movie's been building up to, it's, it's you know, the last match of the year, and sort of it's, and they, they, they come into the match, and they're underdogs, and, and, and then there's the locker room speech. So this is where the director has a little bit of leeway. They can either do the speech at halftime or before the game. But the speech comes in, and he just gets all emotional. He's like, listen, I don't, I don't care what the scoreboard says. You know, and I, I don't care what the experts say or how we began this season. Here's what I know. And then at this point, we all get a little misty, including the coach and the star quarterback. And... He's like, I know we're not just a team anymore. This is family. So you give it 100% because your brother is counting on you, right? And I'm counting on you because your family is counting on you. And against all odds, they take the field. And I won't give away the ending, all right? But it's the, <laughs> it's the final showdown. You'll have to watch any sports movie to see how it goes. But this is sort of what happens, right? I, it's the same, and I love it, I really do. But there's a speech that happens, and they talk about building together, they talk about being a family, and something works about it. Because innately, just part of our human DNA, because we are made in the image of God, we are, we are made to be part of a family. And we're made for something much bigger than ourselves. We're made to be part of a family and be on a mission and a purpose that's bigger than me. You know, in these movies, they, they use the term family. And a lot of teams really are close, but they're not actually family. They're not living under the same roofs. They're not visiting the same grandma at Thanksgiving. They're, they're not actually a family. They just sort of put that term on it. But something that Jesus says in this passage is amazing. And it's not just words, but it's revealing that we are actually in his family. And we're not just playing one on TV. And so for the first 27 chapters in the book of Matthew, there's this pattern. Every time Jesus' followers are referenced, they're, they're called lots of names. They're called, you know, his followers, they're called his disciples, they're called one of the crowd, they're, they're called eyewitnesses. They have a lot of names that they're being called. And Jesus has a lot of names. He's called a teacher, he's, he's called a prophet, he's called the Lord, he's called a savior, he's called a rabbi, he, he's called lots of names. But then they're given a new name. He's given a new name, and we're given a new name in Matthew chapter 28. After Jesus rose from the dead, his people are still his disciples, but they're not merely disciples. Because the resurrected Christ says in verse 10, 
go and tell my brothers that I'm alive. And then I'll see him in Galilee. And this isn't a coach looking to inspire, which is sort of with a cool term. This isn't sort of saying, hey, we were formed by this common struggle. But no, we're given an identity. And we are transformed because our older brother gave everything to have us adopted into his family. And just like that, our relationship with God has been permanently redefined. God is our father, not just because he's our creator, but because he, is ado- because he adopted us through Jesus Christ, our brother. And this isn't just sort of mere semantics that make us feel good. We are actually adopted into his royal family. We share in his inheritance all the privilege he has. We have. We aren't merely his disciples. We aren't merely his followers. We aren't just one of the crowd. Our eternal fixed reality is that we will be in his presence. And our daily reality is that we are a son or daughter of God because Jesus Christ is our brother. And the same spirit that rose Christ from the grave is alive in us and nothing is holding us back from him. You are wanted in the family. You are pursued. You are loved. You are a co-heir. You are welcomed at the table because it has been opened by our true older brother. We aren't just sort of allowed over the gate someday. We are wanted in the family. We are beckoned to come. Whatever your past, whatever you've done wrong, even if you have run from him, one of the people here, he, he calls his brother three days ago, denied him, and yet he calls him his brother. And you are invited into the family of God. You are invited not to sit at a distance, but you are fully invited into the family. The day Jesus died, there was a man on a cross next to him being killed for crimes that he had committed. And when he realized that Jesus was the Christ, he had faith in him. In that moment, Jesus said, you will be with him in paradise. Now, this man was a criminal. He was rightly being put to death for what he had done. He wasn't sort of this misunderstood figure who had a bad break. He he was on the cross rightly. The moment he put his faith in Jesus Christ, Jesus didn't ask him any questions. Well, tell me, Tell me about your church experience, sort of what synagogue have you been going to? Okay, let's get that background. There was no no quiz about his theology. Just you are welcome to come because of the cross of Christ. There was no time for him to clean up his act. There was only time to respond in faith because the cross of Christ welcomes him in. The cross of Jesus Christ and his triumph over it. Listen, this is not an invitation to sort of clean up your life and put things in order and sort of someday get cleaned up enough that you can approach God. This is, it's a call to come immediately and urgently and come as you are because whatever your past and whatever your uncertainty and whatever your doubts, you are welcome into the family. But it's not just that you're welcome, but because of who Christ is, it It's not just that you're welcome to come, but you could take it or leave it. The cross of Christ demands something of you. Because because he is the center of history, because he is over all things, because he is the conqueror of death, because he is the unique one, he is able to make a claim on your life, and he does. There is no sort of sense of, man, Jesus is great. That's great. Um, That seems to work for a lot of people. If that's your thing, good for you. There's no, man, he's a good teacher with good morals, and he's, He's good for a lot of things. He makes the claim that he is the Lord of all. He is the center of not just the universe, but of your life. 
And so he either is the center of your universe, he is the center of your life, or you are opposed to him. There is no, I'm on the fence. There's no room for he's good, he's just not for me. You know, where the sense of, I said this prayer once and I'm trying to be good ever since. There's no sort of, I'm sort of a follower. There is, he's my brother. I'm in the family. He's the center of everything. Or I'm not in his family. And to be in the family is to have the source of the greatest joy and the greatest blessing and to be out of the family, it is the source of the most helpless and hopeless state. It is to be isolated and rejected. And I want you to know that you are invited to the family. If you aren't sure of your relationship with God through Jesus Christ, I would love to talk with you more afterwards. A friend from church, whoever you know in this church would love to talk with you more about it. For those that do know him, today is a reminder of what is true every day, that Jesus Christ is alive. And he is in heaven, and he is enthroned, and he is ruling all, and he is so radically for you and for us. And each and every day, because of the resurrection, you can enter into the presence of God. Not because we're perfect or we had a good week. In fact, we can enter whatever kind of week we had. We can enter without our trials or weaknesses or shame or accusations or guilt we have because Jesus Christ, our older brother, paid our debt and entered ahead, and at every moment he invites us in. Because of the resurrection, he is alive right now, he's alive tomorrow, and he's alive forever. And because of the resurrection, everything is different. We have nothing to fear on earth. We have everything to live for and living for him, and we have communion with the living God because our brother, King Jesus, is alive. Because of the resurrection, everything is different. Everything is different because Jesus Christ is risen, because he is risen indeed. I'm going to ask that the band can come forward now. We're going, to, we're going to close by singing one more song. And I just want to invite you as we're singing to, if, if God was just sort of pulling something in your heart, if you just realize, I don't know that I have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, or I really don't know what that means, I would invite you as, as we're singing to, to, to talk, talk to the Lord yourself, to talk to the person you came with, to talk to me. We would love to talk more, but not, not to wait into sort of the... the, the the cross of Jesus Christ is an invitation to come as you are and to come immediately, not to sort of just wait and sort of say, okay, I'll get back to that later, but to even come right now and to, to do business with God. But for all of us here, I would just encourage you, as we're singing, here's the reality. Everybody's dressed really nice, right? And, it, and it's Easter, and, and people do. People look very nice, and, it, and, it, and it's, it's good to see. Um, but here's the thing. We're not doing this because of formality. We, we, have, we are singing about how the resurrection has changed everything. And so let's sing in joy because we have the best news in the world to sing about because our G Jesus Christ is alive and he is worth celebrating. So this isn't, if you're a guest, this isn't a formality. This is God's people love to sing and worship our God because we have every reason to celebrate. So I'm going to encourage you to stand with me now as we close in singing. <laughs>